from runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 595, The New Windows with guest Paul Therat, recorded Thursday, June 28th, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio, bringing back my friend Paul Therat, who, according to this biography, is an award-winning technology journalist. (laughs) (laughs) Only 20 years of industry experience. It's got to be pushing 30 by now. You're old. I am old. We're all old. <laughs> We're all old. It's ridiculous. Richard, I remember when. Uh, now, you know, in my session openings these days, I do pull up a slide. It says 1977. That's the year I wrote my first line of code. Sure. Admittedly, I was 10 years old. And it's not an important thing that happened in 1977. The important thing was Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But you sort of go from there. You know, I can't imagine I have a single listener in the world that doesn't know exactly who you are. And, and, I, and I count you among my friends. Yeah, as you should. We always seem to get into trouble, you and I, mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. even when our spouses are around, which I find odd. But yes, that, that happens a lot. You sit in kind of a hallowed spot in my life now because you are the source of one of my go-to stories. Oh, no. You got to tell the story yeah. then. All right. You know, the introduction to whiskey and. Oh, yeah. That, they, you know. It was billed, right? We went up to Penaluna. That's right. And we were, yep. do, we were doing Windows Weekly in person. Of course, mm-hmm. they called us the, the Bourbon Brothers because, of course, we came with gifts. We always come with <laughs> that's, gifts. That's right. You do. And that's a wonderful thing about you. Yeah. And you have forever ruined my life. Oh, yeah. And I, and I remember that moment. That, that was a very obvious moment. I, and I said. We should not open this bottle like this. Right. Uh, Avalorabunda is serious business. This is not, you drink this at night. No, nope, got to open it. I, I have had a bottle of that in my home ever since. Right. And I don't mean the same bottle. I mean, we refresh it, you know. Routinely. Well, you said it already on the show. You said, this is my jam. Yeah. <laughs> the two things I remember most clearly from that day was my first taste of it where I said, I feel like I just got shot in the tongue. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other one is, and this is almost an out of body experience because I didn't, it's not like I went back and actually watched this, but I I sort of feel like I can imagine what this would have looked like from the side, which is me clutching this bottle like Gollum in the Mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings and not letting anyone else near it. Well, and Leo had a fair bit of it. MJ wisely was like, nope, (laughs) not touching that. But I had, what was I on? For five minutes in the first hour of a three-hour show. (laughs) Yep, which sounds like the beginning of Gilligan's Island, but yes. So when I'm back off stage, done my piece, because you, and I think it made me do data lakes too, so I don't know if I forgive you for that. (laughs) The the crew were angry. Yes. Yeah, because they knew that once Leo got his hands on that, they, you know, the control was lost. Yeah, no, we were pretty much off the rails from then on. (laughs) Maybe I should go back and watch this episode. We, I think it went through half that bottle, but Leo did take that bottle eventually and hide it. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Cause he was afraid I was going to walk out the door with it, <laughs> which, you know, frankly 
was rational. Well, absolutely reasonable, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do pride myself on being a professional bad influence. <laughs> yeah. And, and then whenever you met my wife, I introduced you as the, you know, the man who ruined our lives. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and she was also the one who just looked at me while across the dinner table and it's like, what is it you do exactly? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes. And, and while you're there, could you also explain what my husband does? Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. Very funny introduction to all of this, but <laughs> do you still have a job? Cause there, apparently there's no windows anymore. They've broken oh, up the geez. windows team. Like d- yeah. there's not a windows team. Where's Terry Myerson? Like what has happened? You know, uh, this has been an existential crisis for me, and you would think <laughs> no, and I mean this in, a, in I mean this at a very deep level. You know, when you think about the history of Windows and some of the bad things that have happened, right? The implosion that was Longhorn, yeah. The explosion that was Windows Eight, and even you know little side things like Windows Phone or whatever. This one, for some reason, has hit me the hardest. And I think part of it is what you brought up up front, which is this notion of us, you know, and me in particular, you know, being around for a long time. And mm-hmm. Windows has been my focus. The Windows super site. You're the guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> as the world has changed, you know, you kind of have to adapt with it. I, I at least... I don't, I almost said was smart enough, but I at least walked into, well, I'm not just going to look at windows. There are these things that are kind of round windows and ecosystem of things. You can talk about Microsoft products and services, but you can also talk about competitive products and services. And that's important stuff, you know, over the years Mm -hmm. that kind of positioned me so that as the world changed to kind of, you know, what I'll call mobile and web focused to start looking at things like that as well. And, and then this happens, you know, and, and, it's one of those things, you know, if we had had a conversation a year ago or three years ago about Windows and what we see the future like, I, I would have said very clearly that this era is coming to an end. Sure. It's a natural thing. It's, you know, it's like death. It's okay. It, it happens to all of us. We're all future corpses. And I go into this open eyed and yet there's still kind of a gut punch to it. Yeah. You know, when it actually happens. Well, and you know, you know, I'm working on a book on the history of .NET, and I hope we get a chance to do a book on Windows together because mm-hmm. there's just nothing. There's they've really not documented what happened since XP. Yeah, right. And you know, when you say they, <laughs> right, <laughs> it's it's kind of the royal they because it's it, there's a lot of they's. Yeah, there's the Microsoft angle, of mm-hmm. course, but I would say exterior to Microsoft. I grew up and then grew into reading a lot of industry books, and at different points in time. You know, different companies are kind of the focus. Microsoft, there was a bunch of the uh, genesis of Microsoft stuff that was the focus of a bunch of books. We all know all those stories. And then there was the the kind of rise of Microsoft and the, the fall of Microsoft, you know, with sure. the antitrust trial. And I think that was the end of the world at large being interested in Microsoft. Right. Yeah. Once they've been declared a monopoly, yeah. nobody paid attention after that. Yeah. And then Apple happened and Google happened and Amazon happened. And, and those companies were the focus and are the focus of books and documentation and so forth about what's going on with them from a corporate standpoint. And so, yeah, I agree. There's, there's a whole, I mean, I always kind of looked at this as I thought about writing something like this a long time ago, and I was going to call it windows everywhere. <laughs> and of course that title is now a little ironic. Yeah, <laughs> which was not my intent, but that was their thing. And just like people stopped paying attention in the history, Microsoft didn't go away. And of course, neither is Windows, right? It's still no, of a product. I just think it's interesting. You know, there's this whole Conway's law that ultimately products 
look like the organizations that make them. Oh, jeez. That's like saying that dogs look like their owners. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, the, the sort of reality, looking at .NET, it's like there was, a, there was a runtime team, there was a languages team, and there was a platform yeah. team. And oddly enough, we ended up with a runtime, a language, and a platform, right? It, you know, yes. if you have three teams and you're trying to build a product, it ends up with three features. Like, you just keep getting that sort of repeating behavior. And I'm wondering if this is Satya, like, actively wagging the organization. It's like, unless we organize so that we don't have a focal point on our windows, we're never going to get past this focus on windows. We got to talk about Satya a little bit. <laughs> you know, you're right. First of all, what you just said is correct. Mm -hmm. And it's like a president coming in an office or whatever. You know, the new CEO has his own style, his own way of doing things. And I think if we had looked at him back when he was on the Windows Server team or elsewhere at Microsoft earlier, we would have seen an engineer, a super smart guy. Sure. And not necessarily the guy he is as CEO. It's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, he's turned into a... Oh, he very much changed. I remember him doing a briefing for the RDs about the cloud early on when he owned that group. Yeah. And he was an engineer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A total engineer. I was uh, at a reviewer's workshop at Redmond, and this is many years ago. It was a Windows Server release of some kind and Visual Studio. I think that for some reason they, those releases were tied together. At least the reviewer's workshop was together. And I was talking to Ward Ralston, who worked at Microsoft at the time, and he said, hey, I want you to meet this guy who just came on board, and it was Sachin Nadella. Hmm. And uh, this is the literally the only time I've interacted with him in person. And I looked at him, and I shook his hand, and I said, oh, good, fresh meat. <laughs> Those are literally the only words I've ever exchanged with the current CEO of Microsoft. I wonder if he remembers. I wonder. Mm, I doubt it, but... <laughs> It's going to be an assistant that hears this show and is going to write that down. So <laughs> brought it back. But, you know, he, it's interesting. He, he has a broader worldview mm -hmm. and kind of a moral stance that he's taking on a lot of things. He's very into accessibility and availability of technology to everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's a, a little ironic again, you know, given Microsoft's antitrust pass that they are now positioning themselves as the company that people can trust, whether it's with their privacy or their corporate data, whatever it is. But then again, I think they also have the, I would say at this point, probably decades of proof point to that. I mean, yeah. they are the, the trusted partner, especially for the enterprise. Yeah. People just expect it now, you know, and again, it's like, I don't, I don't expect windows to go away. They've kind of gotten in this mode where they weren't going to make another version of windows anyway. They were just going to keep updating it. So I don't imagine that changing and having it as part of Azure kind of makes sense because there's an awful lot of operating system engine stuff running inside of Azure. And so it can live yep. there. Just to what you just said, there's a lot, right? So mm -hmm. if you think about Windows as a bunch of different things, but let's just break it down into two parts. It's kind of the user experience and then the core, literal core, and then the things around the core, the kernel and so forth. The responsibility for that stuff has kind of switched hands a number of times over the years, depending on who was in charge. Right. Historically, though, I'd say it was always rightfully so with the server guys. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was kind of a Jim Alchin thing from way back when Steven Sanofsky kind of switched that around on its head and he made server kind of subservient to client at that time, which I hated. But, but his leadership was all about tackling the tablet problem. And so that's yeah, why he got yeah. so client focused. Yep. And it's flipped back around again. And so when you when you look at the core part of Windows being under Azure, it makes sense because that's really server, right? That's the the adults, <laughs> you know, in some ways. And that's, you know, the people who should have that part of uh, the code. And then the user experience stuff can be a separate team that's under a, a separate part of the company. For, and, and it is. And it is, yeah. You know, yeah. One of the interesting insights I got at Build when you're talking about 
the Windows experience folks under Joe Belfiore is that they're now part of DevDiv, which means pretty much for the first time in decades, all of the people that build tools for developers work in the same organization. Yeah, I know. You know, there's there's always been this tension between the UWP folks working in the Windows group building essentially their version of .NET. And the yes. the ASP.net yes. and, and WPF, you know, guys over in DevDiv. And now they, they work for the same group. I, I would think it would make things better. Yeah. And I don't know that uh, this is a direct result of that. Mm-hmm. It probably isn't. But it's fair to say that with the coming release of Windows 10 and, and also the one that just shipped, there's been an interesting refocusing of the product on smaller features, core productivity tasks, you know. Not a lot of big bang nonsense, uh, 3D and mixed reality and stuff that no one's ever going to use, you know, fonts and emojis and whatever the other stuff was they did. Those sort of giant leap pieces, right? Yeah. But in a lot of ways, I would say we're a mile too far for most people. It's just a weird set of things to focus on from an engineering or just a time management perspective. It just doesn't, it never made sense to me. And I, I feel like where they are today makes more sense. Yeah. As awful as the the earthquake that was the whole reorg was, you yeah. know, and still will be going forward. Yeah, and I and I'm and I'm still wrestling with how awful it actually is. You know, over on the other show on .NET Rocks, we did a mm-hmm. show at Build with the venerable and wonderful Raymond Chen. Nice. And uh, and in one of his cohorts, Jason Watson, talking about specifically about Windows features and specifically Windows sets. Right. And as much as I enjoyed the conversation, I mean, really, it's always fun to be in person with guys like that and just talk about yep. this idea. You also had the sense they they really never talked to the customers much about it. Like, okay, <laughs> tabs for Windows apps. Right. Did anybody want that? You know, okay. So we're kind of hitting <laughs> on one of my big pet peeves in life, I would say, but with Windows specifically, which is that one of the first things that Terry Myerson did when he took over Windows was he set about to reverse everything that Steven Snofsky had done, right? Hmm. This is very typical. Again, it's like the president coming in, you know? Sure. Same kind of thing. And in this case, that was mostly good news because a lot of what Snofsky did was insane. And (laughs) one of the insane things that he did was make Windows really secretive. Right. And uh, he punished people like me and like Mary Jo Foley who would report on information that he wanted secret. And, you know, we can get into the rights of the press and all that, but whatever. The, the point is, uh, it, was a, it was a dark period for me personally and for Mary Jo as well and for others. And Terry Myerson, not because he likes me or knew me even at the time, but because he saw the wrongheadedness of this, said, well, we're going to do the exact opposite of what he did. And what we're going to do is we're going to open this thing up so everyone can have a say in the next version of Windows. And they eventually came up with this thing called the Windows Insider Program. You get a, a, millions of enthusiasts join and they have a feedback hub now, but they have had other methods of providing feedback. And these are the people who drive the features, you know, yay or naying in, right. in many cases that are coming in future versions of Windows. It sounds like a great plan. It sounded like a great plan. I mean, certainly when I first heard of it. But here's the problem. The types of people who engage in this kind of program are by nature enthusiasts. Right. They're not the typical customer. They're mm-hmm. not the average user. And unfortunately for the first, you know, the first version of Windows 10 was really about just getting it right, setting it straight, you know, getting back from the mobile first, the touch first kind of focus of Windows 8 and making it more desktop centric again and and kind of recapturing that audience before they left forever to the Mac or to Chromebooks or whatever it might be. And then, you know, they kind of fine tuned it with that fall update. But then the subsequent couple of updates 
we're treated like Windows 95 every time, like we're going to have all these features. And you have these guys who, like, again, who are kind of enthusiasts, or not, are literally enthusiasts, upvoting kind of nonsense features because everyone has their pet peeve thing they want in there. And it's like that joke, remember, when I think when Windows 7 came out, College Humor put out a joke commercial making fun of a real Microsoft commercial. I designed Windows 7 or whatever it was. Right. And it, the result was this fire-breathing robot, kill, you know, killing machine with appendages and a teddy bear and all this because everyone got their feature in. So I don't mean to suggest I have some kind of answer for what the right approach is. Like I said, when I heard this, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. But then on the flip side, you kind of see the end result and you realize, oh boy, <laughs> we've kind of gone too far in this one direction. And the voice of the real customer, like the the silent majority, because the silent majority is not going to engage in the Windows Insider program, they're normal. Why would they ever want to do something like that? You know, their wants and needs are not being met right. by the product. And it's it's kind of the, it happens a lot in life. You know, like McDonald's was not created to make people obese. McDonald's was created because the guy saw a world in which people had cars and it opened up new opportunities for a new kind of a restaurant at the time. And it was just a good idea, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was a good idea. And what you do with it is almost a second, secondary to the point. Paul, give me one moment here for this very important message. Windows desktops and laptops aren't going away anytime soon. They're still domain joined and non-domain joined. There's on-premises and always on the go. Policy Pack increases your Windows security for your on-premises and roaming PCs. Remove local admin rights, manage all the security settings in your browsers in Java, and tame Windows 10 start screens and taskbars. Got machines out in the field without the latest group policy settings? Then use Policy Pack Cloud or your own MDM service to deploy real group policy settings to those machines, only with Policy Pack. Get your free trial today and learn the secret weapon that hundreds of admins are using to manage and secure their Windows 7 and 10 desktops on-premises and out in the field. Head over to policypack.com to get started today. Policy Pack, securing your standards. And we're back. Richard Campbell, Paul Therod. It's Run As Radio. We're sort of diving into what's been happening with Windows and where things are at. You know, it's easy to speak ill of Stephen Sanofsky. Oh, yeah. And if you let me, I'll, I'll go on for a few minutes on that. <laughs> but he was also one of the guys that was big on did not want to take feedback from influencers and enthusiasts. He was big on the instrument stuff. One right. of the stories I remember from him back in the days when he was still at Microsoft was the whole favorites thing that they'd instrumented Internet Explorer to look at what features people actually use in Internet Explorer. And he, he surveyed the room because, of course, it, the room is filled with influences. How many people here make bookmarks? And basically, everybody puts up their hand. And then he says, now, listen, when we actually instrument and look at who uses bookmarks out in the world, it's 2% of users. Yeah. And the whole 2% is sitting in this room. There you go. That's the Windows Insider program. Yeah, exactly. And the consequence of that, you know, how he actually acted on that was they stopped adding things to bookmarks, which we all wanted. We wanted bookmarks to be smarter and cleverer and so forth. And it's like, yep. nope, not going to put any devs on bookmarks at all. How bookmarks are in IE9 is good enough. We're going to work on features that everybody else uses. As much as it went against what I desired as an influencer, he wasn't yeah. wrong. Well, you're right. So the one thing I will compliment him on is he did bring a real engineering mindset to this product design thing. For sure. The problem was that he was insane. Uh. <laughs> and, you know, he wasn't Steve Jobs and he wasn't that singular visionary. And who is? You know, it's right. not his fault. No, no one is. No. And, you know, you're, you're either going to drive a product by sheer force of will, which can happen, 
or are you going to do it based on telemetry, which was what he was all over. And the Microsoft of today is is a little bit of both. And uh, I should say the Windows of today, I, the Windows team or the product we have today is certainly the result of that kind of thing. I think there's a happy medium between ignoring everybody and listening to everybody. Right. But the bigger issue, or maybe this is the same issue, is I don't feel that Microsoft of today, the Windows team of the past few years, the Terry Myerson Windows team, did a very good job of analyzing the data that they had. Sure. And I think that's the thing. You can collect as much data as you want, but if all you're trying to do is reflect your own biases, you'll find it in there. Sure. The data can tell you anything. Yep. And I think, I, unfortunately, I think that's kind of what they did. I think it's an easy trap to fall into. And you're working to tight deadlines and you're trying to move fast. You know, there's a lot of pressure on there. You, are, you do get pulled in a lot of directions. And at some point you just go, yeah. I'm just going to yeah. go the way I want. It'll be interesting to see how this new organization of Windows changes Windows. Yep. I mean, obviously, Microsoft is now a cloud-centric company, and that's not changing anytime soon. And it's been 30 years, so I still get a sense there's an awful lot of Microsoft that hasn't figured out that they're not a Windows company anymore. Yeah, it is hard, you know, leaving that stuff behind. It's hard for us on the outside. I assume you and I are kind of in the same space there. Mm -hmm. It's The world changes a little tough sometimes internally, you know, especially when you've you've created this economic engine it's just astonishing it it launches businesses all over the place and most of them are really successful yeah when that comes to a crashing halt it's a little strange yeah and and again i I don't know how much crashing halt it's just like this is a refocusing i windows still makes billions of dollars yeah no i didn't mean it like that but what i mean is uh, the ability to leverage windows to launch new businesses at microsoft is over that's that's what's come to a crashing halt it's it's not that windows is still used by over a billion people or it's or some number of billions whatever it is Mm -hmm. that's not ending it doesn't go away no it may drip you know off to the side a little bit that audience is there you know people are engaged on different types of devices they still use pcs for certain things especially in business sure that's not changing i'm still seeing xp booting up in my atm at (laughs) my local bank like it's it's nuts it's depressing that os is 17 years old there it is still running the atm i'm sure it's secure Well, as long as it's not connected to the outside world, it's fine. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. (laughs) It's crazy. You hit on something that I I think already has impacted Windows, which is that Microsoft is the cloud company now. Mm -hmm. And so under Satya Nadella, you know, one of the things I do know about is just this basic imperative that came down from on high that every business needs to, A, justify its existence, but B, has to fit in this model, you know? And when you look at a legacy product like Windows, they're the one guy left with, without a chair at the end because it's hard to do that to a legacy on-premises software product. You know, Windows Server was able to kind of migrate into Azure. Mm-hmm. Office has kind of been able to migrate into Office 365. These things are sets of services. They're gigantic now, both of them. Windows, you know, it still runs on the thing. You know, it's, it's hard. And their attempt to make Windows 10 be everywhere on Xbox consoles, on phones, on IOT, Surface Hubs, and other devices, you know, Windows 10 is basically on PCs, right? It, it's, it is on some of the other things, but those are small numbers. And I think one of the hard things that Terry Myerson in particular was tasked with was making Windows make sense under this new model, and that's Windows as a service. Right. Windows is not a service. I cannot stress this strongly enough. Mm-hmm. Microsoft says and writes this constantly, Windows is a service. No, it's not. <laughs> but it is it is maintained as if it were and there's been some ups and some downs you know with that i'm frankly super impressed they've been able to get it to where it is today i believe this month have had two cumulative updates to windows 10 which is not completely usual but it 
usually there's there's one you know in patch tuesday yep two feature updates a year which in the old days we would have called new versions of windows right and would have been marketed under different names and and whatever different version numbers you know he kind of he kind of pulled it off yeah and then he was let go because you know what this thing doesn't really have a place in this new organization thank you for bringing it on board terry now you must leave. Uh, yeah, and I don't know exactly how that went down. I, w- I would think they'd find a home for him. But although I've always thought that Terry Myers was a bit of an odd duck because he was very much a bomber guy. Yeah. And it seemed like as happened when Gates moved aside and bomber took over and you saw a big shuffling of the senior executive as Satchett came on, there was sort of bomber's people and Satchett's people. And you saw a shuffle there as well. Yeah. Lots of people moved on. So. I have a theory about this. This was not said to me explicitly. I have talked to Terry a couple times now since, you know, he, since this event. Um, and I, I want to be clear that this was never said to me exactly, but I believe this is how it went down. When you think about Windows being de-emphasized at Microsoft, mm-hmm. it, it's not one of the tier A products anymore. It's going to be split in two so that the core part of the product is under Azure, which it is. Right. And then you have this user experience thing that's under Joby, wherever that is in the, in the business. The thing that Terry ran before was already kind of everything else that didn't fit in anywhere else, right? right? It was more personal computing, which is the weirdest business unit name in the history of Microsoft. So we're restructuring the core product that's part of that, you know, Windows. And it's it's being split up now. This guy used to be on the senior leadership team at Microsoft, but now... The product he's responsible for is now split. And there are people basically one or two levels above the person responsible for Windows in both cases who are on the senior leadership team already. Where where does he go? You know, what what part of Microsoft would Terry go where it's not a demotion, right? Right. Where he's on the senior leadership team. It it doesn't exist. Yeah, you kind of get into a possible place. Yeah, I'm sure that he had the opportunity to stay at Microsoft. But it would have been perceived as a demotion yeah. and it would have literally been a diminished role. Yes, I think you're probably right. I mean, the group you used to run, you now have a portion of that over there, you know, under yeah. a different team and so forth. So, it, yeah, it just sort of gets to a place. There's no other options. It's just an, an interesting dynamic. And it's I think it's important yeah. to remember, like, none of these guys are struggling to pay their rent. Oh, no, he's a millionaire many times over. And there's personal stuff, too. I mean, when he came on board, when he's to run Windows. Microsoft was buying Nokia. Yep. Satya Nadella came in and said, yeah, we're not doing this. I don't care what we just announced. And let's start winding this down. And oh, by the way, Terry, you get to lay off everybody. Yeah. Have fun with that. Welcome to your new team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did feel like he sort of got the collection of odd ducks. So not so much Windows, but then also having phone. And he had he had yeah. band too. He's the guy who killed the band. Yeah. Well, you know, look, the thinking that led to those decisions came down from on high. And mm-hmm. it's very pragmatic. Yeah. You know, you have to justify this thing's existence. I think we could make the case with Microsoft Band, it was never going to be a viable product that was going to generate revenues for Microsoft. Does it make any sense otherwise? No. And okay, so we have to kind of get rid of it. It's easy to kind of demonize the guy. Yeah. I mean, I'm still looking at my last dead band sitting there over my desk. Yeah. I'm not yeah, over. Yeah. I love that. It was a great device. I loved it too. Yeah. But I, you know, I had two and they split both they of broke. them and I got replacements. And yeah. You know, it, uh, but we liked it enough that we kept getting it replaced. We didn't give up on it. Yeah. It was like the Xbox 360. I think I owned, I don't remember the numbers anymore, but I had <laughs> at least five different consoles, which were in total repaired like nine times. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. My only concern was when is it coming back? Exactly. Yeah. That's very yeah. funny. If you don't mind reversing roles here a little bit, mm-hmm. and maybe the hunter could become the hunted, if you will. 
I've been on the periphery of the developer world for a long time. Mm-hmm. You were a developer at one point in your life. I am arguably a professional developer. I've sold software code. I've, sure. I wrote books about developer topics, many books. Mm-hmm. But I haven't been a developer really for many years now. Um, right. So I'm, I'm a bit removed from it. But my background allows me to you know, speak to folks from Microsoft about these topics perhaps a little more intelligently than normal press might, you know, just because of the background or whatever. I've been fascinated by Microsoft's developer story forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have my own kind of view of it, which you're welcome to correct me on. But the way I kind of look at it from the outside world is, you know, Microsoft ran the client computing world for many, many years. And we kind of hung on their every word, their every new SDK, every new platform, uh, every change, you know, we kind of lived and died on this stuff. I feel like there was a big thing that happened with Longhorn where there was so much promise and none of it came to fruition Yeah, that I feel like they kind of lost the hearts and minds of many people at that time. And then with the shift to mobile, of course, you know, on the client, it's a fact, you know, there really isn't any major new windows software being developed out in the commercial world and hasn't been for many, many years, but there are millions of people on the Microsoft stack, right? Sure. I, and you know, I'm mean, like, I'm going to, let me explain it to you, Rich. This is how it works. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I don't mean it like that, but you know, but the, the Microsoft stack isn't even a stack. It's like, they're everything to everybody. Like whatever you want, there's something there for sure. you. You know, they, they have, and I'm just talking on the client. I mean, th- there's stuff out there, you know, for those who want it. And I go to build every year, like you do. And I, mm-hmm. I pay attention to the message. I go back and rewatch the keynotes and I kind of ruminate over what it is that they're trying to do. And when I look at something like Windows 10 in particular and all the SDKs that they put out, I think to myself, who on earth is using this stuff? Right. Like, what, it, what is this audience? And I kind of put out an open call on Twitter, this is a few weeks back, to speak to developers in the Microsoft space. I want, I want to understand what the rank and file, what is, what is this group, you know, and who, if anyone is uh, using this Windows 10 SDK that shipped with the April 2018 update provides some number of new features that will only work on that version of Windows 10. Right. Who is using that stuff? Yeah, I don't think very many people at all. I don't think so either. And you know I run Dev Intersection too. So I mean, yeah, content yeah. planning for me is a, is a big conversation. And I am specifically you know, going after an audience of sort of mainstream Microsoft developers Right. So who, who are those guys? Yeah. Like, what are they, what do they really use? What they really use is a couple of generations earlier. You know, yeah. they, they, there's a non-trivial number of people in, that come to the show and that communicate with me, certainly, that are using WinForms because it's productive, that, that take care of yeah. ASP.NET web form sites to this day. And they don't feel out of date. Like they've been doing work. They make mm-hmm. new new things all the time, but they don't need that new technology. They're not on Win 10. You know, Win 7 has a remarkable level of support inside yes. of organizations everywhere. And so certainly they're not on the latest version of Win 10. You know, there's more pressure now to move because, you know, Win 7 is 2009 and the heat's on for, for we're going out of primary support and things are going to get more expensive now. Yeah, but yeah, the, the dev doesn't set the platform in most organizations, and so they, these <laughs> right. are just not right. talking points for them. And I do think the play that we saw at Build around Core Three, where they're saying, "Look, we know you like WinForms, but you're also dealing with high DPI yeah. screens now, and WinForms, which was developed in the aughts, 
<laughs> does not know yep. how to deal with that. And we can't find a way to update old wind forms that won't break your app when you try and go to high DPI. So we're going to make in core three, a new version of wind forms that acts and smells like your old one is built for high DPI. But because you're going to make this jump across, at least you're aware to look at the differences and you can make some changes. So we're going to make a relatively painless, but not seamless migratory yeah. path. I viewed that style and it was, there were more things like that where right. Microsoft previously had taken kind of a hardline stance on new functionality. Like this was always going to be in the Windows 10 stuff, you know, right. UWP or UWP adjacent as I'll call it. But they seem to be opening up to the technologies that developers are actually using. And mm -hmm. that was a, that's a really good example of that. But I look at that and I think, well, okay, but are those new features that basically are coming from a sort of UWP world, are they only going to work on Windows 10? Well, and I think that's an excellent question and we don't know the answer to it right now. And I would also argue, you know, and this show is really about that. This new Windows world that we're now living in, that we've yeah. actually been in for several months, is still... What does it mean yeah. to have the Windows experience part of the overall developer division yeah. so that they are, that UWP and WPF are not going to be separate things anymore? There should have always yeah. been only one. They've never been explicit about the fact that they aren't one, but the truth is they aren't one. Right. Yeah. This is happening all over the place with this reorg. It's not just the developer stuff, but yeah. you know, even the reorg itself, they've already shifted it once, you know, when it happened. You know, Mary, Joe, and I were talking about this, and, and we both sort of expected, look, there are going to be changes. You know, these guys are going to head out to these new teams, and there's going to be some more reshuffling. So this isn't going to work. This might work okay over here. We are right now, as we record this, on the cusp of the end of Microsoft's fiscal year. Yes. When that switchover happens, there's going to be more changes. Yes. You know, there's no doubt about it. And I feel like this thing is going to evolve. This show is publishing the first week of August. Oh, geez. Okay. So we are now one month past. <laughs> yeah, we're at the we're at the last few days of June, and in fiscal year end is the end of June. Yeah, yeah. I know for all of my folks that I deal with at Microsoft, they're all losing their minds right now. A new fiscal year is just a tremendous amount of work, but the reorg yeah. rate is crazy. I think it's going to get crazier. So by the time this posts, we'll we'll know what has happened. You know, I don't know what it is now, but I know there's going to be like you just know there is going to be more sure. change. And the, the, the Windows reorg was the end of March, beginning of April. So they did it early enough that we've had it, they've had a sort of a few months now to get ready for this fiscal year. So I, I presume by the time this shows out that we're probably going to hear a bunch of stuff that, that is going to be along the lines of how this reworks. But I think ultimately for IT folks and for dev folks, this is going to be hugely beneficial in the fact that the back to the Conway's law thing. This is now an organizational model that should mm -hmm. make stuff we really value. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting to think in terms of Windows isn't the focus of Microsoft. So they're going to try and make that pressure that was always on for upgrades and that their primary competitor for selling their new thing was the old thing. Yep. <laughs> that this is starting to bleed away. And for these particular product lines, I think it for, for IT especially, this is incredibly good news that we're not going to have this need to differentiate all the time on something that, let's face it, just works and or at least should just work and actually isn't that important anymore. The kind of move my cheese philosophy of the past doesn't make any sense anymore. Right. You know, this is something that should be consistent and should just work. And no one normal, and, I, and I'm not normal. No, nope. you and <laughs> you know? me both, friend. You and me both. Yeah, no non-enthusiast should care 
about any new feature in Windows, yep. nor should they have to look for something that used to be somewhere, but now is somewhere else. Well, the, the bottom line is the desktop's been the desktop for a long time. You know how to do things. You know what yep. you want to do with it. There isn't a fundamentally new experience needed right? until we utterly change the form factor. Like, I think the smartphone's ripe for disruption when you actually look at there is time for a new thing. The phone's been the slab yep. of fondle glass yep. for years. <laughs> Yep. And there there needs to be innovation. I and I think it might be the visor. I don't know that it's HoloLens. I'm trying to update my HoloLens right yeah. now. But that's a separate conversation. You know, the primary conversation right. of, you know, the OS is air and it's just about as exciting as air. Yeah, and again, I <laughs> I kind of built my career such as it is yes. on on air. <laughs> on air. Yeah. On hot air, in my case. Much hot air. Yeah. Seeing these changes is, you know, is, like I said, is difficult. And like Microsoft, I'm kind of looking for, you know, what is that next wave? Sure. Like, you know, they've admitted openly that they missed the, the mobile wave. And, you know, is it ambient computing? Is it uh, AR and VR and MR? And mm-hmm. is it some combination of these things? I, they may have, uh, in, you know, for developers in particular, I think the IoT stuff and ambient computing is very interesting. But then again, just, you know, basic cloud computing. Yep. We still lots of things that need to move to the cloud. There's still lots of things that yeah. have benefited from cloud architecture. You know, this is an ongoing process, certainly yep. for all of us that deal with this stuff. And I'm working really hard to retire my exchange server because because <laughs> enough is enough. I don't need this much fear in my life anymore. It's time to move it. It's just, it's getting silly. You know, it's, and it's yeah. in the end, it's the same reason that any, that any normal organization does. My hardware is starting to age out. You know, right. those fans right. are going to be scary. Those drive bearings are getting old and mm-hmm. it's like, it's time. And it's like, do you really want to do that capital expenditure of buying all new gear and moving these workloads over? Or is it time to put it somewhere else? Yeah, this is the classic cloud computing argument. You know, are you in business to sell whatever the widget is? Or are you in business to manage the mail server yeah. for the company that makes the widget? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mail, mail is air too, right? Like you care yeah. when you don't have it, but the rest of the time you don't care. For sure. Yeah. Well, always fun to talk to you, Paul. This is really not any different than you and I in a whiskey in a bar. But I hope the listeners appreciate it because it's basically the, exactly the same conversations. And uh, that's our episode of Run As Radio. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>